Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Horseware. This month's podcast is going to be a little bit different. In August, I interviewed Robert Dover to get his perspective on the Tokyo Olympics for Practical Horseman magazine. And the interview contains so many wonderful stories, and our space in the magazine was limited, so unfortunately, a lot of it got left out. And because of that, we decided to put the rest of it together for this podcast as it almost coincides with the release of his book, which is called The Gates to Brilliance, How a Gay Jewish Middle-Class Kid Who Loved Horses Found Success. It is currently available to pre-order and is scheduled to be available on November 9th. So exciting. So I, I live here in Maryland and Robert Dover grew up across the bridge in Northern Virginia. Yeah. And as I was starting to learn about dressage as an adult, I met some people who actually went through pony club with Robert yeah. and knew him as a kid um, learning to ride. And what they have all said to me that I think is just so amazing was that all you had to do was watch Robert for a couple of minutes and you could see that he was truly gifted. Yeah. That there was something so special about him that set him apart from everybody else in Pony Club, everybody else who was riding at that time. So he's he's a pretty remarkable man. I mean, six Olympics. Yep. Yep. That's a lot. So excited to excited to read his book <laughs> yeah well it was it was fun chatting with him and the and he did have a lot of different things to say and like you said he grew up and actually with me growing up in Pennsylvania also close by and and one of the funnest things and you'll hear in the interview but the one of the best things for me was that he knew my mentor um, Colonel Alfred Kitts, he knew him pretty well. And so it was really fun for me to hear some stories that he shared about Colonel Kitts and, um, you know, a different, not necessarily a different side to him, but just some stories about him that I hadn't heard about. So that was pretty special to me. And um, I enjoyed, definitely enjoyed that part of the conversation. But it's a, um, it's a big, long, big, long interview. There was and it could have been longer because there is so much to cover when you've oh, you know, sure. <laughs> been in this game for as long as he has. So, um, so yeah, but one thing I do want to let our listeners know is that the sound is not the best. I recorded the phone interview with him so that I had it for the magazine article. It wasn't necessarily intended to be on a podcast, uh, but there were so many, like I said, there were so many good stories and so much good information that we wanted to share it. So we're including it here as, but it's a little bit different than our normal uh, podcast interview. So it will, it will sound slightly different, but hopefully everybody will still enjoy it and get something out of it. And absolutely worth listening to, despite the quality or lack thereof of the actual sound recording. Definitely. Uh, but before we get to that, we have um, a special Ask the L question today. <laughs> and um, 
because full disclosure, today's question comes from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to ask this to you, Aviva, and let you answer for everyone <laughs> or to everyone. What advice would you give someone thinking about going through the USDF's L education program? Well, full disclosure from my end also is that I did get a copy of this question yesterday. So I had some time to think about it. It's not going to be an entirely off the cuff answer. Um, but this is something that I could probably talk about for hours and I'm sure our listeners don't wanna to listen to it for hours. So the first thing that I'm gonna say is if you wanna do it, you should do it. Um, the L program is probably the single best thing I ever did for myself as a rider, as a competitor, um, as someone who's just involved in the dressage scene. Um, I decided to go through the L program because I was always last. And I had a nice horse and I didn't understand why with a nice horse, I was always last. And I thought maybe the L program would help me understand what judges were looking for. And the L program has changed and evolved over the decades. So it's a little bit different now, I think, than it was when I went through it. But at the time, there was an A, a B, and a C um, session. And each one of them focused on something individual. One of them focused on biomechanics. One of them focused on gates. One of them just focused on, you know, how to judge and, you know, lots of other stuff. And I went through the A session and I was the there you're allowed to audit the a b and c so there were probably 50 people in the room and there were about 14 of us who were technically um in the program and so we were allowed to ask questions nobody else was allowed to and it was an introduction to judging and i was the only one in the group who hadn't ridden fei who had never judged a schooling show um, and who wasn't an instructor. And by the end of the weekend, I decided that I needed to quit because I didn't belong there. But I'd already spent a lot of money. And so I decided I would go back for the B session. And I'm so glad that I did because that was a little bit more of the nuts and bolts and a, bit, a little bit less about what we knew. It was more about teaching us what we needed to know. Um, so I went through the B session and I went through the C session and the D one is when you actually sit with an examiner and you judge. And at the time we had to judge 10 rides, um, at training four, this tells you how long ago it was training four, right. first four and second four. And we sat at a licensed competition and we had to keep up with the judge who was actually in the ring, you know, judging. And our instructor would ask us questions. And at the end of it all, she took all of our written test sheets home with her and evaluated how we had judged and whether we matched with the placings of the instructor as well as the placings of the judge who was judging the show. And we got a score. And at the time, 65% was passing. 70% was passing with distinction and the passing with distinction means that you're eligible to move on to the small R. And I got my exam back and it was a 62%. And I was devastated. 
And so I contacted the instructor who is, who was, um, well, she still is, Mary L. Barnett, who is one of the nicest people in the dressage world. And I said to her, should I drop out? You know, this is really important to me and I want to pass with distinction and I want to be a good judge and I want to give back to the program. And I didn't pass. And she said, you need to keep going. You just need experience judging. So I found another, I had not been actually admitted into the final part of the program. And I ended up flying out to the Midwest and doing another D1 session um, in Wisconsin. And it was really interesting because my original session had been in New Jersey. So I knew people and in Wisconsin, I didn't know anybody and I didn't know the names of the big shots. So it was a different way of looking, you know, when, when, when somebody like Heather Mason comes down center line, you have a preconceived idea of the skill level. Right. I had no idea who anybody in Wisconsin was. So I didn't know who the pros were, who the amateurs were. It was a completely blank slate. It was a fabulous experience, fabulous experience. And I ended up um, going through that D1 and getting a 72%. Mm. So I felt much better. And then I went to the D2, which is the same thing again, except even more intense. And the person who does your D2 is also going to be doing your final exam along with somebody else. And I was very fortunate that I had um, Debbie Real Rodriguez from out in Oregon, and she was amazing and wonderful. And again, I did well, I had a 75%. So I felt pretty good, but still scared about going to the final. And the final was at Lamplight. And how cool is that? Yeah, I got to judge at Lamplight, you nice. know, even though nobody knew I was doing it, I knew I was doing it. <laughs> right. And I was so excited because the person who my, the second person who was my instructor um, and my examiner was Mary L. Barnett. So I got to go oh. full circle yeah. and have my final exam with Mary L. and Debbie. And um, it was a marvelous experience. It's, it's so incredibly intimidating and scary. You know, I went through, as I said, I went through the first program here on the East Coast and then the second half of the program in the Midwest. And I got to know a lot of people. And I started out with people who were FEI riders and had years of experience teaching and maybe a little bit of arrogance that they knew everything. And as we went through the program, the thing that struck me the most was that this is a completely different skill set. Mm-hmm. And that you can be one of the most incredible riders in the world, but that doesn't make you a good judge. Right. It's a it's a different skill. You know, there are many skills involved in 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 this whole thing. One is one is being a good rider, and that could be riding, you know, trained horses. And then there's the skill of being able to train horses. And then there's the skill of being able to train riders. And then there's the skill of judging. Right. They are all interconnected, but they are all different. Um, And I went for my final exam and I am very proud to say that I passed with a score of 83%. Um, And I've been going ever since and it's been wonderful. And what it has taught me is humility. (laughs) It's taught me how to sit at sea and feel for the person who's riding down my center line. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it has taught me the importance of what I call the connective tissue of the test. Before I went through the L program, you know, I learned tests, A down center line, X halt salute, track right, make a circle. And I started to learn how to think about how do you ride down center line? Where is the half halt before you make that turn at C? How do you set up and balance your horse through the corner? Where does the circle actually start if the circle starts at E? <laughs> does right. it start 10 meters beyond the letter or do you start coming off the rail right at E? And how big is a 20 meter circle? And how big is a 15 meter circle? And how big is a 10 meter circle? So all of those things, you know, I now ride differently. I teach differently. Um, and that's all thanks to the L program. Um, I went through the program with some people who discovered that they didn't enjoy they didn't enjoy judging. Mm. Um, and that's also good to know. Some yeah. people just don't like it. It's really hard. Um, you're always either cold or hot, <laughs> you know, or, or the wind is blowing or you're in an uncomfortable chair um, or it's raining or the sun is shining in your eyes right. or there are bugs, you know, it's, it's, it's physically uncomfortable. It's really hard to concentrate, particularly for L grads who see, you know, hours and hours of intro level. Yeah. Um, and, and to keep that enthusiasm and excitement um, for four hours of people doing walk trot. Yeah. Because yeah. every single person who comes down your center line deserves the same excitement and enthusiasm. You know, you don't get oh, to be tired. Yeah, no, definitely. So I, I learned a respect for judges that I didn't have before. You know, and uh, you hear lots of people, they come out of the ring and they get their score and they say that judge is an idiot. She doesn't know what she's looking at. And you know what? Yeah, they do. You know, in order to, <laughs> in order to be a judge, you, you had to have training and you had to, to be educated and, you know, stuff. And dressage is a subjective sport. Um, and so you can look at something and I can look at something and we might see things that are a little bit different, but the chances are we're going to give pretty much the same score. Right. We're going to place the, the class pretty much the same way. Um, you know, what, what this has done for me is it's taught me some of my biases. There are certain <laughs> breeds that I like better than other breeds. Um, there are certain colored horses that I like better than other <laughs> colored horses. You know, and learning how to leave that behind yeah, um, and see the harmony of a ride is just, you know, I, I, I think I think the L program is something that even if you don't have your scores to actually go through the program, to sit through the A, B and C session to audit that and to learn about how much is involved in judging intro A, I think is something that everyone who competes should do so that's my that's my short answer to your question okay well <laughs> you know I I very much appreciate your candor and advice I I ask the question because they are going to be doing the portions a b and c in Ocala the beginning of next year which is an hour away from me so it would you be, should do it it would be relatively easy for me to go and do it and come 
come back because, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have the travel expenses. I would have to, you know, take time off that kind of thing, but I wouldn't have to, like you said, fly to the Midwest or, or even go to travel to New Jersey. It's, you know, I could come home at night. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I saw that and I, I was, uh, pondering, pondering it because it's, as you said, it's intimidating and, you know, and, and all of that. So it's, it's intense and it's hard right? and it's challenging and it's time consuming and it's expensive. And it, the education is so valuable right? that I think, again, if you, if you don't want to actually apply to be in the program and to go through the entire L and get your certification, just to sit through the A, B, and C and to just listen at the feet of these instructors who yeah. are amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're almost all S judges. They've been there. They've done that. They know their stuff. Um, they're articulate. They're excited about being a part of the program. You know, the, you don't, the people who teach in the L program want to be teaching in the L program. They want to be there. Sure. They want to share their knowledge. They want to train new judges to come up and replace them. You know, it's yeah. not just yeah. about sitting there in their judge's chair and lecturing to a bunch of peons. They're there to, 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 to build our sport. Right. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's fabulous. It's, it's absolutely worth it for, I think for everybody. And especially for those people who have any desire whatsoever to show, I think it just gives you such a different perspective on how to come down center line. Yeah. You know, I stop being last all the time. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't say I was first, but you know, I wasn't always last. Um, and, and I, and I do attribute a good bit of that to understanding what I need to do in the ring now that I didn't understand before I went through the program. Right. You know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, the, the first time I rode in a fix a test and I rode 15 meter circles in training level test one. And the judge <laughs> said to me, you know, did you ride 15 meter circles? Cause you thought you get a better score cause you made it harder. And my answer of course, I didn't say yes, but inside I was saying, well, yeah, I did. Well, now I know, having been through the program, that no, you don't get bonus points for making things more difficult. Right. You do what you, you, you need to show accuracy. You need to show that you can support your horse with the degree of, of flexion on a 20-meter circle and that you can start where it needs to start and end where it needs to stop. Um, and, you know, not ride a square and not ride an oval, but a true circle. Um and boy, circles are hard. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's why we practice them so much. <laughs> yes. And I know that in a couple of other podcasts, we've talked about, you know, what do I think is so important? And, you know, one of the things that I learned through the L program is accuracy. Right. You know, the other thing that I say for those people who want to go through the L program is that it does force you. Um, you are required to do a certain number of hours of scribing mm -hmm. and a certain number of hours of sitting. And I still go and scribe regularly with judges. Um, it's yes, it's part of my continuing education, but I learn so much yeah. by sitting with another judge and looking at it through their eyes mm -hmm. and, and 
seeing what, you know, kind of saying to myself, okay, well, my comment would be, and my score would be, and wow, this, you know, as judge next to me just said the same thing. Cool. I know what I'm doing. Right. So, you know, if nothing else, it, it forces you to sit with people and it forces you to scribe and you learn things by osmosis and you start <laughs> to understand, you know, things like people who get tests back and all there are, are quote, negative comments. And, and the score is a seven and it's a negative comment. And right. they say, I don't understand this. All the, all the judge hated me, but I got a 70%. <laughs> well, you know, no, the judge didn't hate you. The judge was saying, you know what? If you had done this better, it would have been an eight. Right, yeah, yeah. And while we're encouraged to give a positive comment and a, and a negative comment or something that needs to be improved comment, sometimes you don't have time. So- if you do a shoulder in and you get a seven and the comment is needs more bend, it doesn't mean that your shoulder in didn't have bend. It means right. that with more bend, it would have been an eight. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know about you, Steph, but I'd rather get an eight. I would much rather get an eight. I'll get, yeah, I'd get eights all day long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's an 80. And I could, I would love an 80. <laughs> so, you know, it's those kinds of things that I think people learn through the L program. And, you know, I can say it until I'm blue in the face to my students and, you know, to my scribes and to my show organizers and all the rest of that. But when you go through the program, I think it really um, comes alive in different ways. Yeah. And, it just, it, it makes you better. Well, and that's, that's part of what I'm looking to do anyway. So, uh, so we'll have to, maybe I'll follow up on, on this in, in case this becomes, ends up becoming a journey of mine and uh, we can, we can go through the L program together. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. And, and, and just be aware that it's hard. I, I have no doubt of that. <laughs> Absolutely no doubt whatsoever. That, that, no, I would not go into that thinking, oh, this will be, this is, this will be nothing. This will be a piece of cake. No, no. Well, no. you know, it, it's funny, you know, up here, up here in my area, we have many graduates of the L program yeah. and we have many licensed judges as well. Yeah. And I know that when I first started in Versage and I found out I was writing for, you know, an L grad, it was sort of like, oh, you know, they're only an L grad. <laughs> and then I went through the program and I was like, wow, oh. this is pretty hard. <laughs> this, this isn't only an L grad. This is an L grad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I think it also just teaches an appreciation for, you know, the, the time and the financial and the, the commitment to yeah. going through this program is, is, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I appreciate your advice and, it, and, and I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope our listeners, if they have the opportunity to, to go through the program, will take it as well. Um, it, it's, as I said, it's the single best thing I did for myself um, as a writer, a competitor, and an instructor. I can't say enough good things about it. And it was not easy. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to quit several times, but I was lucky that people supported me and I went through it and graduated with distinction. So yay. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, if anybody else out there besides me has a question <laughs> about showing or judging, please email me at sruff at equinenetwork.com or reach out to us on Dressage Today's social media. And after this short break, we will have my interview with Robert Dover. 
Treat your horse to something new. Horseware Ireland is excited to release its autumn winter collection. This season introduces new innovations, including our strongest fabric ever, new weight options, and complementary colorways across the Rambo, Rhino, and Amigo turnout and stable lines. In cold weather, you can feel confident knowing your horse is warm, happy, and protected in his Horseware Ireland blanket. Shop for new arrivals by visiting shop.horseware.com. Robert Dover was born in Chicago, began riding at age 13, and started to specialize in dressage at 19. He then went on to be part of Olympic dressage for decades. He was on six Olympic teams, winning four bronze medals in 1992, 96, 2000, and 2004. He also served as technical advisor for the Duda Corp U.S. dressage team from 2013 to 2018, helping the team to a bronze medal at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. He currently resides in Wellington, Florida. What were some of your own personal favorite moments from your Olympics or well, the, the no horses men. that in you rode? In 1984, my very first Olympics, probably the thing that is most indelible in my mind, other than the actual competition itself, yeah. was marching from the one stadium to the main stadium for the opening ceremonies and having all the Americans marching down the streets and on <laughs> each side of the street, there were people like 12 wide, just cheering, going USA yeah. and we're all so stoked and excited. The American team of 560 athletes and we were <laughs> chanting along with them. And then we went running into the stadium and we were wild and crazy. And that was something that we repeated in 88 in Seoul, Korea, and then got in a lot of trouble for <laughs> Because everybody else, all the other countries were marching in proper file, no. very correctly, and then Americans came in crazier than they could possibly be, and then we got told that will never happen again. Oh. And it never did happen again. Oops. Never did happen again. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would say that, I think... I'll never forget Muhammad Ali and the Olympics being mm -hmm. being the person that lit the fire. Right. The cauldron. That was an amazing thing to be there with him. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things. <laughs> Shaking the hands of presidents and their wives and the first ladies, either right before the, the competition began, like in L.A., or afterwards, mm -hmm. after especially if we had a medal. And just all of those things. I, I, I have in my book where I was in the line for the cafeteria line with the coach of our team in 1984, and I, he, told, he started a motion for me to turn around. I turned around, and I was looking directly into the navel of another athlete <laughs> who then when I looked up, she was well over seven feet tall. <laughs> and then I I was so mesmerized, I, I didn't know what to say. And then <laughs> she was so nice. She was a, back then it was Yugoslavia, and she was the forward from the Yugoslavian volleyball team. Wow. 
You just think, where would a seven-foot woman be were it not for these sports and the Olympics? Just amazing, right? Yeah. 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 So that, and then of course, our first medal, 1992, back on a medal podium for America for the first time since 1976. And and then from that point forward, we were, we medaled for the next three games after that so through my last game in 2004 we medaled every single time yeah that's quite an accomplishment (laughs) yeah my other greatest memory would be the last games with kennedy because my parents were there and they're still alive yeah and i'm so proud to not only have personal bests at the olympics for myself but also to just be able to share it with my folks and my family. Right. Yeah. Of the horses that you rode, is there one that stands out more than the others, or is it you can't pick your favorite, you can't pick your favorite child? Yeah, they're sort of, it, <laughs> it's more like <laughs> in every single games, and it wasn't just Olympics because I would have a different one. I only had one horse that went to two consecutive competitions, which okay. was my own later liked, that I brought up from three years old. After that, it was clients' horses and people who's, who said, this isn't working for me. Do you want to give it a go? And then, miraculously, things would work and I would get onto <laughs> a team. I think that they're all special for me and I loved all of them. Right. And I'm grateful to the people who allowed me to be able to ride them and grateful for them to them for being so wonderful in my life. But I think Kennedy was the most special animal because he was as smart as a dog (laughs) and his nickname was Turbo for a really good reason because (laughs) the the degree touched him, you got exactly that. He was so committed to going forward and so committed to be great that you just really had to be his dance partner and let him be great. Yeah. I would say probably the horse that, yeah, was, uh, Fader was my own since he was three. And then I took him to Olympics in 88 and the world championships. And he was also, of course, one of my fondest partners. He led the entire Western European League in the World Cup that in 87. So that was another one. And they are all great, but I, I would say probably Kennedy and Vader Light were the two that that I would have the fondest memories from. Right. What are you working on these days, or where's your focus at? I'm excited that uh, the Gates to Brilliant is about to come out. And it's been pretty much a labor of love over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful to Martha Cook and to Rebecca, and I don't want to mispronounce her name, but I want to say it's Didier. I don't know how she pronounces it. Do you know her? No, Rebecca? I do not. Her, her last name is D-I-D-I-E-R. They have been so patient and helpful in guiding me through a process that I have never 
done before. So I had obviously a lot of thoughts, as you can tell. I'm, <laughs> I'm never for a loss of words, <laughs> right? <laughs> for words, but I, but to put it all down in, in a way that I think people will enjoy, and I hope that they will learn from. I think that really is something that I. I, I did not know it was so complicated and difficult, and <laughs> only because of their help is has it turned out to be not only a really fun experience, but also I think the the book will speak for itself. Yeah, and I, and I hope it will cross over to not only be enjoyed by horse people, but I hope that people across all kinds of walks of life will enjoy it and have the opportunity to maybe learn from it. Yeah. I read what Martha had sent and it, no, it sounds really good. I will definitely give it a read. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's what it, it, what it really is, is a book of reflections and suggestions, right? Mostly coming from the mistakes that I made, <laughs> and then I put them out there so that it might be possible for people to read those rather than <laughs> live through the exact same mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and and I think that it, it goes with the name. So the name isn't the name is really because my mentor Colonel Youngquist, when I was a kid. And I was having so many problems with the horses and figuring out everything. And I walked in and I was lamenting the fact that all these things were going on. And he said, Robert, the gates to brilliance are surrounded by a cloud of sweat and tears. <laughs> Which is just an amazing yeah. statement, right? Yeah. And it's one that I've never forgotten. Right. And been really with such great respect for him. And and with such fond memories of him, I, I wanted to name the book that is in his memory. Yeah. Just on a kind of really personal aside, did you know Colonel Alfred Kitts by any chance? Very well. Oh, he was my mentor. I, yeah, I, such a great, fantastic, funny, smart yeah. guy. And I spent... Really, during his last year of his life, I was with him uh, several times, and I remember, you know, when he died, just being shocked. Yeah. But you know, when you're young, and these people that are in your life, uh, at that same time, when Colonel Kitts was judging me all the time, <laughs> was also Colonel Donald Thackeray, uh huh, Captain Fritz, General Burton. All of these great cavalry guys, right? Major Decine, Major Salagi. I don't know if you know any of those names, but because they, they go back to when I was in my teens and early 20s, these are the men that helped mold the way I competed. Right. And of course, Colonel Youngquist, my entire philosophy of the way I deal with horses still today mm -hmm. and and with people yeah yeah i was just wondering because you went yeah. when no when... he was a great guy yeah yeah I was... yeah it's just a great guy and really so fun because he was always he had always a great word for you at the end yeah it was very like the mil very military and honorable 
Yep. Yep. Very much so. So that's, yeah, that's cool. Anyway, that was yeah. completely an aside. So cool that you knew him. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I spent a lot of time on his farm with him and his wife both. They, they were my second set of parents. Wow, for, you're for lucky. A, That's yeah, great. No, I am very lucky. And uh, yeah, and then the the last question pretty much I had for you is that you, you're still you still seem to be very enthusiastic about dressage and the sport and so how have you kept up that level of enthusiasm all this time? I I guess the first thing is I just love horses and yeah. I always have and I always will. And the other part of it is I love the people. We are a, a dysfunctional family <laughs> at times, but no matter what, we are still a family. We dressage riders, uh, not just the American community, but the world community of right. dressage riders. We are m- maybe by the from the view of outside and from others, a crazy, wacky group, <laughs> but we most definitely are passionately in love with our horses with the sport and the ideals of the sport and though we do sometimes tend to get so self-critical within the sport that we maybe don't do it a great service at times yeah we definitely when when we are held up at the at gunpoint by those from outside of our sport, we will band together as a group and defend our sport and how we care for our horses and how we love them to the end. Yeah, I'm still passionate (laughs) about the sport. I'm not so passionate that, as I said to you at the beginning, that I would get up at <laughs> right. the entire thing. I hear you. Uh, I do have uh, another life outside of dressage that makes me also very happy. I hear you. But I, but when I'm there at the barn, which is most days, and I start teaching or training or riding, I something clicks inside of me, and I have no. It's not like I choose to be passionate in that moment or to give a hundred percent to myself it's just again mechanical it's something clicks in me and mm-hmm. i have no choice but to give a hundred percent every single minute of every day to whatever the horse or the the athlete needs yeah that's all i have for you is there anything oh. else you'd like to share that in particular oh i'm just, like i said i'm excited for the book to come out Mm -hmm. and I'm excited to see what happens because of it. I also am am, uh, very hopeful that this coming season in Florida will be uh, a fun and exciting, fun and exciting season of the sport. And I just hope that we all get our acts together and (laughs) get everybody vaccinated and that that people understand that getting vaccinated is not giving up their liberty, but only really being patriotic citizens to care for others. That's what I'm hopeful for, and 
We'll just see how the next months and years play out, right? Yeah, yeah. That's about all we can do at this point. Right. Now we got to just do our own best, the, the best that we can That's each right. day, right? Yeah, but... I certainly appreciate you taking all of your time and taking time out for us. Thanks so much. It was fun talking to you, okay? Thanks. Take care. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Many thanks to Robert Dover for talking to me for both the Practical Horseman article and this podcast. And also, please check out our sponsor, Horseware Ireland, at shop.horseware.com. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.